0: Thank you, Michael. Well, that's a beautiful worship service. Beautiful. We're going to be back in 1 Timothy this morning. I'm glad you're here, and it is good to be here. Back over in 1 Timothy. We're going to venture over into chapter 3 today. Chapter 3, verses 1 and a portion of verse two. If you have found First Timothy, would let's stand together and we'll read just a short passage here in honor of God's great truth. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And look at verse 2. It says, a bishop then must be blameless. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these words. And every word in the Bible is so important. The thes and the he's and all those things are so important. God, help us to be able to understand what's before us, the very book we hold through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us that understanding? And then, Lord, help us to walk walk faithfully before you once we understand what you want us to do. God, we, uh, we thank you for the time that you've given us, and we pray for the churches all across our world, all across our nation, and, and I know there are some in this world that have already met hours ago. And, Lord, would you bless the, the services, would you be honored and glorified in the services right here in this one, Lord? Would you have your way? In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to, the, the now the title of this message, I, I all, as we've gone through this series, I, I have not been able to think of another title other than this is part four. So this is First Timothy, part four. For us, and we're looking at understanding God's direction for the church and uh, the unity in the church, and then also God's direction for us as we look at this morning, as we look at uh, his qualifications for, we're going to look at some of the qualifications for the pastor, but how that pertains to you and I that are in the seat. It does, and so once again, I mentioned this before, but many people will consistently Sunday after Sunday come to a church and not have an idea of really what church is about, what they're supposed to do, the direction of the church, where it is headed, and specifically with regard to the doctrine of the church, what the church is supposed to believe according to the Bible. And so we're gonna we're gonna study this, we're going to continue our study, and we've gone through chapter 1, we've gone through chapter ch- chapter 2, but remember, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are what we call the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters. They're actually written directly to some men, okay, in, in this case, this one is written to Timothy, but eventually it's written to us, to all believers, and so God gives us clear direction, instruction regarding numerous areas of the church, but specifically in these particular letters, he gives clear direction as far as church leadership. And so this morning we're going to look at that area of church leadership and uh, what do we do? And uh, it's going to be crucial that we apply these this direction to us individually. I'll tell you what, this was a wonderful uh let me let me put it this way this was a wonderful uh portion of scripture for me to uh to even prepare in other words I enjoyed preparing it and uh I learned so much just studying for this uh today's message so uh, but how it applies to us it's crucial uh so How do these directions apply to us? And we're going to look at two directions this morning, uh, specifically. First, so there's only two points this morning, two directions from Scripture uh, that, uh, that we're going to look at. First, all of us should desire God's will for our lives. Every one of us should desire God's will for our lives. And second... Every one of us, as a child of God, should strive to be above reproach when it comes to our relationship with God. We should strive to be above reproach. So those two things, we should desire God's will and then desire to be above reproach. So we're going to look at the first one, and before we do, we're going to do a little review. And uh, remember chapter 1, Paul is is writing this letter to Timothy. He has left Timothy in Ephesus, which was a very, very, very difficult place. Uh, it was full of false religions, a number of false gods. As a matter of fact, there were temples to false gods all over the place, but one of them was very, very large. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I think I said that properly. Uh the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis it was a sexually related false god. But there were false gods all over the place. And these, these, this false religion was trying to creep into the church that had been established in Ephesus. Now Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus and had ventured up north to Macedonia and Timothy is ready to throw in the towel. There are some there that are disrespecting him, and uh, he is—he's just facing a difficult time. As a matter of fact, it seems like that many of the sins that are mentioned in chapter one, verses nine and ten—you can see those there. There are many sins that are—they're just listed out there. That perhaps that uh, there were those in the church that were trying to justify those sins. Uh, well, it's okay if we do this or that. And so Timothy has a rough road. He's ready to throw in the towel. And Paul is telling him, Look, buddy, you can't quit. You can't quit. God is counting on you. And uh so anyway, that's where that's where we were in chapter one. And then we ventured into chapter two. And you remember one of the points last week was to pray with purpose, and that's verse 1. He instructs us, first of all, he says, supplications, that's uh, our requests. Prayers, that's general prayers offered with praise. Uh, Intercessions, that's praying for other people and giving of thanks. our, Our prayers need to be, we need to include thanksgiving in our prayers. He says, let those be made for all people. All people. And he says specifically in chapter or verse 2, he says for kings and for all that are in authority. That means all the authority that you can imagine. The, those in, uh, in, that are running the nation and the moms and dads, all those others that are in authority. Pray for them and pray specifically. Uh, and, and then we talked about last week that God wants all people to be saved and you can see that there in verse 4 of chapter 2 he desires that all would be saved that needs to be our desire oh lord would you save those in the the darkest corners of the world all around the world lord would you i I pray that muslims would turn to you in droves lord uh we need to his prayer is god God desires that all would be saved <coughs> excuse me, and that needs to be our desire and then last week we also talked about being yielded to God, and Jesus set the tone here. you look in chapter two down at uh at verse nine excuse me verse uh Verse six. I'm sorry. He gave himself a ransom for all. He yielded to the plan of God the Father, and he died for all. And so uh, he set the set the tone for yielding. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul in the next verse. He he yields himself, and he says, "I'm a I'm a I'm a teacher to the Gentiles." He yielded to God. And then in verse 8, Paul says, therefore, he says, I will therefore that men pray. That means men and women pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. In other words, that's the the position of being yielded to God. God, it's all yours. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. And so that's where we ended up last week. And that is the context as we go into this next section. Now, so before we get into chapter 3, let's deal with these remaining verses rather quickly, but we'll deal with these remaining verses in chapter 2. Now, these verses are tough. Uh, There's some, uh, some very tough verses, some of the toughest verses in the Bible to preach. And it's easy to dodge those verses. It's easy to go around them. But as you study the scriptures, we study the Scripture, it's important that we don't dodge God's Word. These are God-breathed uh, directions for the church. This is how the church, he's given us the directions now, how the church needs to function. And so these are God-breathed. The idea here, now it's, remember, it's always important as we study Scripture to look at the context, you look at the setting And then you look at the context of what is going on. Okay, we're not going to take things out of context. And so the context here is being yielded to God. You can see in verse 9, it says in like manner. See, that ties it back to what's going on. Okay, he's talking about uh, Jesus being yielded. He is yielded. He is submitted to God. He is surrendered to God. He is preaching to the Gentiles. And then he says in verse 8, I will therefore that men everywhere... Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In other words, he prays, Lord, may they all be surrendered to you. And so then he says, in like manner that women adorn themselves, excuse me, that women also, let me start over here, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel and with shame faces, shame faces, fastness, and sobriety. That means we see that word sobriety. That's mentioned twice here. Uh, I think it's mentioned all the way down in verse 15. Uh, It means uh, has the idea of being under control, self-control. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. I think that's interesting. Um, But the idea here is, let's just read a little further. We'll read a little further here. Uh, But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And uh, he goes on, and he says, let the the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now, these aren't my words. These These are Paul's. But I suffer not a woman to teach, he says, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman... Being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. That's a reference all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, and that word sobriety once again refers to being under control. Now, you see back up there in verse 9 where it talks about being modest. That means well arranged. Here's what was happening. there were False religions were all over the place. And the 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 scene was the context the setting was that there were women coming into the church and I don't see any of these in here okay there were women coming into the church half naked all right that's what was going on they were bringing that stuff into the church and it was affecting the functioning you could imagine it was affecting the functioning of the church it was affecting the men and so they were bringing that stuff into church, and Paul says, Look, they can't be doing that. Uh, you can imagine some of those false gods. The biggest false god in Ephesus was the temple of Diana, or was Diana, Artemis. And it was a sexual perversion beyond what we can imagine. And, and there again, some of that stuff was coming into the church. Uh, So he mentions modest. That means, I looked it up, the word modest means well-arranged, modest. It it implies good behavior. And the word sobriety means self-control, soundness of mind. Now I would say this as I studied this. I would say that all of us, men, women, uh, boys, girls, all of us need to be modest and of good behavior, and we need to have self-control. Now, here's the question. Is it okay for a woman to look nice? Now, I don't see anybody in here that is described in uh, verse 9. But is it okay if a woman looks nice? The answer to that is yes, it is. It's absolutely fine as long as she is modest. Uh, she's not uh, dressed in a way that... that uh, that draws attention to herself. I'll put it that way. She's dressed nice. Uh, can a woman teach? He mentions here, he says, uh, let the woman learn, uh, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Now the idea here, you can see the previous verse, let the woman learn in silence. See, these women were coming in, and they were loud, they were noisy, they were, they were drawing attention to themselves. And he's, he has to correct that. And that is what is going on in this setting. And so, uh, does that mean the women can't speak? No, that's not what it means. He's correcting the situation. And so, here in verse 12, he says, I suffer not a woman to teach. Can a woman teach? Yes, she can. But look at the, the next portion there. It says, Nor to usurp authority over the man. Now, here's the idea. Here's the meaning. And this is run from cover to cover. This is the truth. From cover to cover, and that is God is very orderly. He's very, very organized, and He has set things in order in the home. The man is the head of the home. Does that mean the man is more special? No. God has just given the order. Okay, they're actually equal. They're supposed to submit to one another. That's the way it is. He took the woman from his side. He didn't take her from his head. He took the. He created her. He took a rib from the uh, from the side. And so they are equal, but he has put the man in control in the the family and in the church. That is the way that it's supposed to be. Everything is to be done orderly in the church. And God, we have to remember this, God is not the author of what? He's not the author of confusion. He never has been. Satan is, and here's what Satan wants to do. And he's been playing this game for centuries. That's why he came to Eve in the garden. Okay, he's been trying to turn the church up on its head ever since the beginning. He's been trying to turn the homes up on uh, up on their end since the beginning. And these verses right here, God's direction, they point away from chaos. As a matter of fact, the direction is this. In, in the Bible, the direction is this. And, and uh, we're going to pick on the men here in just a moment, but... The direction for women in the Bible is to be godly, a biblical woman. Uh, let me tell you, I, as I was studying this, I wrote these verses down. A biblical woman is crucial. And uh, let me give you a couple of verses, and there are many, many more, but I, I chose two of them. Write this verse down. This is Proverbs eighteen twenty-two. Proverbs 18 and 22. I tell you what, going through these verses makes me a little hot. Tell you what, I'll be glad when we're, we're, we're through them here in just a minute. These are some of the most difficult verses to teach in the Bible. But it is God's truth. In Proverbs 18.22, I'm going to tell you, biblical women are crucial. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. See, the implication there is not just any wife but a wife according to Scripture, a wife according to Proverbs 31. That's what he's talking about here. That's the implication. In in other words, the implication here is a biblical woman, one that is yielded to God. That's that's what he's talking about in Proverbs 18.22. Let me give you another one. Write this one down. Proverbs 19.14. Proverbs 19.14. This is a key verse. Proverbs 19.14 says this, house, house and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife, listen to this, a prudent wife is from the Lord. And that word prudent means she walks circumspectly, she walks uprightly, she is, she's doing right. She's yielded, to, she's yielded, she surrendered to God. She surrendered to her God. Man, that ought to describe every one of us. But see, the implication here is a biblical woman, a woman of integrity. Uh, you know, you might, you might be sitting in here saying, uh, and I hope there's nobody in here that's saying this, I don't feel like I'm married to a a, a gift from God. <laughs> I, I hope everyone in here has a, that, that is married has a gift from God. She's a true biblical woman. That's what God wants. That's 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 what this implies. And I'm going to tell you right now, women are essential. And men as I was studying this, I was thinking about our world, the homes in our world, the uh churches all across the the all around the world. And when you see a woman taking on functions that she uh biblically is not supposed to take on. And we see that all around the world, all across our nation. When you see a woman taking on functions that she is not supposed to do, generally, it's because we as men are not doing our jobs. That's it. It's generally because, because a woman will take that role. She will do it. She'll get the job done. I, I'm married to a wife. But you know, if I don't do the job, I guarantee you, so that job's going to get done. So when... When when we see a woman taking on a role that they ought not be taking on, it's generally because my experience is generally because we as men are not doing our job, and we've got to do our job. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, uh, we've got to do our job. You know, last night I had the the uh, opportunity. I had to, I've, I have a daughter that is uh, that has uh, she and a, a, a gentleman have have they formed a relationship. And I really appreciate him. He is—he is—he's uh, doing the right thing. He's trying to serve God. He's a—he's a pastor, and—and uh, and so he texted me and said, "Can we meet?" And uh, uh, I said, "Yes, we can." And he wanted to do it without her knowing it. You know what's coming when that? I've got six—I've got five daughters, so I know what that means. And uh, so I drove down to Fort Worth, Texas last evening, and I was there for quite some time, and uh, anyway, we met at a little, little restaurant, and, you know, he asked me the question, guy, he said, I'm crazy about your daughter, can I marry her, and I'm telling you, this man is wanting a, he's wanting a biblical woman, he's wanting a, he's, he's wanting a woman that is seeking the Lord with all of her heart, so young girls, we have some young girls in here. That is so important. If you want to get a godly man, you've got to seek the Lord with all your heart. He's got to see that in you. I'm telling you, this man, he was looking. He was, he, he was looking at her. He was watching her, and he saw a woman that is seeking God with all of her heart. That's so important. Let's jump over to chapter 3. That is the context as we move into chapter 3, okay? Okay? It still is tough here. We're going to continue our tough uh, these, these tough passages. I'm thankful to be out of chapter 2. Uh, verse 1, chapter 3, he says, this is a true saying. Uh, now, we've run on to a passage like that. As a matter of fact, if you were to cast your eyes back over to chapter 1, verse 15, You will see Paul says this is a faithful saying. See here in chapter 3, he says this is a true saying. The word true there means, it means true, it means trusty, it means faithful. It means faithful. So he, kind of a a similar statement. Look back over there in chapter 1, verse 15. Look what he says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's Paul. Paul says, I, I'm the chief of sinners. I have messed up. So now we're going back over to chapter 3. I want you to remember that, what we just read. Look at chapter 3. It says this is a true saying. This is a, this is a faithful saying here. It says, if a man desire the office of a bishop. Now, bishop equals, that's an overseer. Okay? Should write that down. Bishop is overseer. Now, notice, this is important, what I'm about to tell you. There are uh, three offices, church offices, I guess is what you would call it, three church offices that God gives us in the Scripture. Number one, the apostles. Okay, that's the first office that we have, the apostles. Now, we don't have any of those guys around today. The apostles, to be an apostle, you had to see Jesus and be commissioned by Jesus, okay? As a matter of fact, that's what apostle means. It means sent sent one, one that's been sent. So you had to see Jesus, be commissioned by him, so those guys we don't have. The other two offices are the bishop and the deacons. The deacons are mentioned here, I believe, down about verse 9 is when when we start with the deacons, down about verse 8, somewhere in that neighborhood, 8 or 9. So we have apostles; they're off the scene now. Now we we're writing, we're reading uh, what some of the things that God has has uh, given to them to give to us. But then we have the bishops and we have the deacons. Now we're going to talk about the bishops this morning. Now this is once again, this is how this this is uh, church leadership spelled out by God. This is it. Okay. So now when you hear. Someone say, uh, okay, the Pope. Or you hear someone say the Archbishop. Or uh, the uh, you hear someone say, okay, the denominations are in charge. uh uh-uh. Church leadership, according to the Scripture, is right here. Now, that's what we're going to look at this morning, okay? This is, ch- this is church leadership 101, you might say. So now, the elders excuse me the bishops there are two other words that are synonymous with they are uh they they refer to the same guy okay they they're not synonymous terms they actually mean they they actually refer to a different function of the same guy a bishop is an overseer you'll also see in the scripture the word elder that's used elder refers to uh or it's it's the uh the Leader, uh, the uh, uh, counselor, that's what the word elder means. It doesn't necessarily refer to someone that's aged. It means counselor, leader. And then another term that you will uh, see that is used for the same guy. So we'll use this, you might use elder, you're talking about the bishop, you're talking about the same guy. Okay, another word is pastor, and that word means shepherd. So we have the bishop. He's the overseer. He's the he is the pastor. He's the elder. Okay. Now in here's the thing in in the the uh, New Testament model. Okay, as as God was setting up these churches, New Testament model, when you look at the elders, there's always a plurality. There's always more than one. Okay. So we, But these are the same, the pastor, elder, bishop, same guy. Now, where you see those, let me give you some scripture here, where you'll see those terms used interchangeably is Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 30. Acts chapter 20, 17 through 30. Paul is talking to the elders. He's called the elders. And, he, and it says in there, I think beginning in, Chapter 14 of Acts, it, t- it says Paul, sa- they, they ordained elders in every church, okay? But in chapter 20, verse 17, he's talking to the elders, and all of a sudden he calls them bishops. And then he says, feed the flock. Well, when you see it, when you see p- feed the flock or protect the flock, that's the shepherd. That's the shepherd. And so, uh, and also another passage that you might look at is 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that one to you. I jotted it down. It says this, the elders, this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Peter says this, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. He says, I'm also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He's talking to the elders. And he says in verse two, he says, "Feed the flock." Okay, that's the that's the uh, shepherd. He says, "Feed the flock, which is among you, taking." Now look at this, taking oversight. That's the bishop. Okay, see, the bishop means overseer, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as lords over the over God's heritage. But, listen to this, this is crucial, but being examples to the flock, that's the shepherd. He is an example to the flock, all right? So, the, now, I jotted this down because I think it's important. You, now, we've got to know that when we're talking about church leadership, it's the bishop, the elder, the, uh, the, uh, uh, sh- the, the pastor, those are all the same person. Okay, but oftentimes when you read the newspaper, you'll say, you'll see this. You'll see, uh, okay, Reverend so-and-so. And this is, my, now I'm stepping out out of here for a moment. Okay, this is my personal opinion. Okay, this is me. This is Craig, and I can't, uh, you could stump me on this one. But I think it might not be a good idea to call a person reverend. I think that might not be a good idea, and so I, I and and so my my thought on that is this: in nowhere in Scripture is a man called Reverend. There's it's only mentioned one time, and it's in reference to God. And so, oftentimes you'll see that in the paper, and I, when I do, I think ah, you know, you shouldn't probably shouldn't do that. But now that's that's my opinion. As a matter of fact, it's mentioned one time in Scripture, and that's Psalm one eleven verse 9. That's the only only place reverend is mentioned. Here's what it says. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. That's Psalm 111, verse 9. I believe it's a name that is set aside for God. So that's just my opinion. So now, Look, at, look at back, at, back at verse 1. It says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop. We have an idea what that is now. He's talking about the pastor. He's talking about the elder. It says, he, see that next word? He, that narrows it down, has to be a man. Okay? He desireth a good work. It is work. It is work. As a matter of fact, it is a good work, he says. But it is work. It is work. Now, I've been preaching and maybe doing a little pastoring, maybe a little bit, but to pastor a church is a major work. And we'll get to this as we, as we roll through these pastoral epistles, but that's one of the reasons, and I don't think this goes on here. I hope not. I, I have no idea but I, I, I will say that's why when you get over into later on in these pastoral epistles, God gives direction and he says those that labor in the word, those that are in the word, those pastors that are in the, they are bringing the word to you. They are pastoring. He says this, they are worthy of a double honor. Now, that's a big deal. They are worthy of a double honor, so you got to remember that we'll talk more about that once we get to it, but that is a big deal uh It doesn't mean you want your pastor to be walking around as a millionaire that's not what it means, but it means you got to take care of this man okay he is he is laboring that's uh, that's the idea here and I'm going to tell you there are a lot of church a lot of churches that uh that don't understand that uh you know he he's not just bringing the the word to you he's not just but if he's laboring in the word it can take it can take 10 hours to prepare a sermon that's no joke he's laboring in the word and so uh when that next pastor gets here that is going to be so important uh he shouldn't come here for money but the bible says he's worthy of a double honor so it says he must be a he and he desireth a good work now this is where this is where we're going to Uh, land on for just a moment, the word desire. It means to stretch oneself out. To stretch oneself out. To grasp something. To grasp something. To reach after a desired thing. It is an undeniable calling from God. Now this is crucial. He desires this thing. He has a driven inclination for this position. It is from God. It's not, well, I think I can do this. Now, I'm going to tell you, and John and the search committee have already found this out, I think. There are people all there. There are men all, all across our state, all across our nation, that they think, well, I think I'll try that. You know, I hadn't been successful at anything else. I think I'll try preaching or pastoring. That's not good. Okay? It says... If he desire it, he desires a good thing. It is an undeniable calling from God. He has a He's driven, and it's serious business. It is very serious. It's a high calling from God. And it's not, uh, you know, okay, this man has been trained. He's had 10 years of seminary training. Okay, so he's qualified. No. Now, he may have had 10 years, and those help give him tools to use. But he has to have this desire, it's a burning desire in here, and it's from the Holy Spirit of God. It's a burning desire. Uh, maybe someone suggests this guy let's uh, hey, he'd be good, let's just use him. Does he have a desire? He's got to have the desire and the desire comes from God. He must have this holy spirit desire, and it's God's will for this man, and God has put it in him so not everybody, not all of us, are going to be a bishop or a pastor or uh, an elder. That all. That's all one term. So uh, what about us? What should we do? Is it important for us to have a desire? The answer to that is yes. Let me give you a couple of verses. This is Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. So I'm talking about what about us in the pew? Okay, we know this man; he has to have a a desire from God to be here. What's well, important that we desire God's will for us? See, it's God's will for this man to have the desire for him to be the bishop, to be the pastor. Well, it's God. God has a desire for every person in here. Ephesians two ten says, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works." That's His desire for us which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He wants us to walk in those good works whatever those are. Whatever those are for each person it may be different but it has to do with following this. Let me give you another verse. Oh I love this verse. Philippians 2.13 says these words for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. It is God, the Holy Spirit, that's working in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. So now, God wants us, I'm telling you, and we've talked about this, He wants us to know His will. And He is serious. I, there's more verses than that, those are just a couple of them. He wants you to know what He wants you to do. He, know, he already knows the decisions you're facing. He wants you to know. And we talked, I think it was last week or the week before last, about the hindrances. You know, there are hindrances in be even being able to know God's will. Some of those hindrances would be uh, embracing sin, unconfessed sin in our lives. That can keep us from knowing what God wants us to do. Uh, uh, being a person of where it's all about me. Okay, it's what I want. Me, me, me. That can keep us from knowing what God's will is. Uh, being too busy. Okay, I don't have time to to read God's word. I don't... That can... That, that's a hindrance of knowing God's will. And there are others. Uh, not, not knowing and understanding God's character. What does God like? What does... What does, what's he about? See, that can keep us from knowing, uh, knowing his will, but he wants us to know his will. He wants that. So if you're serious about knowing God's will, let me give you a verse. You'll like this one. It is Matthew 7, 7. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ said this. This is crucial. If, you, if you're in the midst of a decision, you want to know, God, what do I do? Direction, what direction? Matthew 7, 7. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Here's what it says. I'll read it to you. Ask, and it shall be given you. This is Jesus talking. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened so you want to know what god wants you to do you got to ask him he's already he said i'll i'll let you know so one of the first questions for someone desiring church leadership as a pastor is why why and if he doesn't have a burning desire From God, then he's the wrong man. That's it. And one of the grandest things that you and I can do is to desire God's will for our lives. See, it doesn't just pertain to the church leadership, it pertains to us. One of the grandest things that you and I can do right now is to desire God's will. God, would you have your way right here? Would you show me what you want me to do? Let's go a little further. Desire. We've got to have a desire to follow God. It says a bishop then. Okay, that's the pastor. He's the elder. He's the pastor. He's the bishop. He's the overseer. That's what bishop means. It says a bishop then must be blameless. That's a big word. Must be blameless. It says he must be blameless. Now the idea here, let me tell you, I looked up blameless. Here's what it means. I looked it up in the Greek. It means that cannot be laid hold of. Cannot be laid hold of. And the idea here is that there is nothing in this man's life, in this, this man that he has a desire to be the bishop, he has a desire to be the pastor, And there's nothing in his life which the enemy, and when I say enemy, I mean Satan. Okay, remember that word Satan means enemy. He's our our arch enemy. There's nothing in this man's life which Satan or an unsaved person could take hold of and attack or criticize the church in any way. In, In other words, is this man above reproach? There's nothing in his life. As we look at his life, there's nothing which uh, uh, Satan or an unsaved person could take hold of and say, ha-ha, we got gotcha. That's See, now that's not my rule. That is God's threshold. That's God's threshold. So at this point, it's important to remember that no person is sinless, right? We all sin. So when the next pastor comes, He's a a sinner, okay? He's a a sinner saved by grace, and and he's a sheep. You know, he's a shepherd of the sheep, but he himself is a sheep. He's just an under-shepherd. That's what he is. The real shepherd is Jesus Christ. So there could be things in this man's past life, his past life, that need to be carefully examined to see if they measure up to this criteria that's being given here. But here's what we have to do. We have to remember Paul. Remember that verse we read a while ago? Paul says, this is a, what does it say? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, we've got to remember Paul. And I told you at one point about this friend that I was with that drowned years ago when I was a young man. And I was a saved young man when he drowned. And I never remember telling him about Jesus Christ. See, I wasn't blameless. I wasn't above reproach. As a matter of fact, even after that, there were years that I certainly wasn't blameless. So what do we do? See, we could, we could draw the rope so tight that nobody qualifies. Do you see that? Because you're dealing with sinful men. Sinful people. So I want you to look at this. Look at this word. I, I'm telling you, every word in scripture, every, every word in scripture is crucial. Look what it says. A bishop then must be. See that word? B E. It's a crucial word. It means right now. Right now is this man above reproach. Now, there may be some things in his past life that we have to examine. Okay, they may they may be a, a trip up. Okay, we need. They need to be examined carefully. Right now, is this? See that word "b" is referring to the 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 present tense. What is he right now? Is this? Uh, is he above reproach? Now, I've already talked to you about First Peter five, uh, but it says in verse three of First Peter five one through three, it says that that bishops, elders, uh, shepherds that will be examples to the flock. So this guy's got to be an example to the flock. He's got to be currently above reproach. And there may be some things in his past that have to be carefully examined. Okay, Will, is there anything there that is going to be—that's give someone, uh, whether it's Satan or an unsaved person or someone else, a chance to grab hold of and say, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Another couple of scriptures. There's Philippians three seventeen. It also indicates that we're to be examples to the flock. And Second Thessalonians three nine. Both of those refer to being examples. But this refers. It's really. It's really interesting. This word blameless refers to all areas of life. It refers to the 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 guy's home life, his work life, his. Uh, vacation life we'll say his uh sport life you know guys get out on the on the field they change sometimes it refers to his workout life uh it refers to his speech all areas of life it refers to all areas and i will tell you this that disqualification is uh it affects all the others now, look at, let's look at the others. We're, we're not going to go over them today, but let's look at them. He says, the next one, the husband of one wife. Now, we're going to deal with that next week. You want to be here for that one. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, uh, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Look at the next one in verse 3. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient. Not a brawler, not covetous. And he goes on and on. It talks about his children being under control. So, uh, but this one qualification here, that he is blameless, it affects, I would say, most of those others, if not all those others. It is foundational. He has to be blameless. He has to be blameless. So, it's God's threshold. That's it. Pastor Wayne Johnson, you know him. I wrote down a quote that I got from him. He said this, "In an unsuccessful church, in an unsuccessful church, the issue is all too often not poor program or not poor, poor programs or uncommitted people, but substandard leadership." Most of the time, if not all time, most of the time I would say that is true. That's Pastor Wayne Johnson. So once again, many of us Will uh, not be bishops or elders or or uh, pastors. Are we supposed to be blameless? We're sitting in a pew. Are we supposed to be blameless? And the answer to that is yes, yes, yes. We are. It it applies to us. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, I would ask you right now, and I had to ask myself this as I'm going through this: Are are you blameless? Are you seeking to be blameless? Let me give you some verses. Remember the verse, and I didn't look this verse up, but it's, it's the ber- verse where the woman was caught in adultery. And Jesus said to her, Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Uh, Romans 6, 1 and 2, that's that's Paul. You know, his, his I mean, precision theology Paul, Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, we're under we're under grace. Can we just sin? He says, God forbid. We can't do that. We can't do that. We've got to be blameless. You need to read you ought to read that uh that chapter. That's one of the first chapters that I memorized. One of the first ones years ago. It'd be good to go back and and look at that. I, I need to go back and you know, if you don't use it, you lose it and uh or you, you you know it slips from your memory let me put it that way but one of my favorite ones is this and it's 1st Thessalonians 5:22 1st Thessalonians 5:22 says this abstain from all appearance of evil abstain from all all appearance of evil so it's important to God that we strive To live blameless by following Him in every, 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 every area of our lives. Are we still going to sin? Yes. You know, the longer I hang around with myself, the more I realize I have a long way to go. But I sure want to get there. So are we still going to sin? The answer to that is yes. But we have to remember First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, that is talking to believers, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this man must be blameless. It must not be anything that, that somebody could take hold of and say, ha, ha, ha. They could attack the church over. But you know it applies to us that aren't the pastor. We need to be blameless. So, why should we desire God's will? You know, we're supposed to desire it. Why should we? And why should we seek to please Him by being blameless? See, before the world was created, the Bible says that God had a plan. That at just the right time, he would send his son, and his son would pay the price. And the promise is that, now it doesn't take a rocket science, a rocket scientist to figure out that our world is headed for trouble. It does not take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Our world is headed for disaster. That's what the Bible indicates in Revelation. And so, God promises that if a person will call upon Jesus, he will be saved. That's what God wants. And we read the verse just a while ago in chapter 2 of verse 4 that he wants all to be saved. He wants that. Now, you're in here this morning. I'm in here. You're sitting down. I'm standing up. uh But you're in here this morning, and I'm so thankful you're here. And I'm probably telling you things you you already know, but just in case there's someone in here that has never accepted, they never called on Jesus to be their Savior, I mean, that's the most important decision in your life. He wants you to be saved so that you can spend an eternity with Him. But listen, you're in this church, but being in here, does being in this building does not make you a part of the church. Do you see that? You have to receive Jesus as your Savior. Let's stand together. As Michael comes on up, and let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, you know every heart in here. Lord, if there is somebody that, that's here this morning, they ventured in here. You actually drew them here. I believe that with all my heart. And they've never received Jesus as their Savior. Lord, I pray that the pull on them this morning would be so hard that they would just, they would just, they would call on him. Lord, I pray they wouldn't leave here without receiving Jesus as their Savior. That maybe today they understood for the first time that just coming to church won't get them there. It's real risky just to depend on that. God, I pray they'd call on You. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever God has laid on your heart this morning, would you just turn it over to Him? Would you yield to Him?